Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Not Nine podcast. On this week's podcast, we are going to be talking about the Sinead O'Connor documentary called Nothing Compares, which is out this Friday. Um, all three of us who are here on the podcast uh, have seen the film and, and saw it together in Rat Minds uh, last night. So we have a uh, regular co-host, uh, Andrea Cleary, of course. Hello. Hello, everyone. How are we? And special guest and returning guest, uh, Louise Bruton. Um, thank you so much for being here again. Uh, thank Louise, you. We've been planning we, this for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I accosted Louise yesterday outside the screening and I was like, do you want to come on the podcast? Uh, we're very grateful to have you uh, and your always excellent opinions on these things. So, uh, Listen, delighted um, to be here and have a voice, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is kind of the, the water cooler moment after the film, after seeing the film. And, you know, we had a bit of that last night, so I thought we'd continue it here. You know, I mean, central to the film, it's a, a film about uh, the Irish musician, Sinead O'Connor, who everyone here who's listening to this will surely know um, and has differing opinions about. And I think um, 30 years ago this week, Sinead O'Connor uh, caused uproar when she uh, tore up a picture of the Pope during her musical performance on Saturday Night Live. That was October 3rd, 1992. And the fallout of that is kind of central to the film and that and that whole act is central to the film. And what I'm interested in exploring because, you know, a lot of us who grew up in Ireland have a particular... We've been given a particular story about Sinead O'Connor and I want to talk about that because I think it's something that it's long overdue and this film does go to address that. Uh, the documentary is by Catherine Ferguson. I think it's her first feature as well. She was there and did a Q&A with Una Malali afterwards. Um, have either of you read the uh, Rememberings, the book? Um, yeah, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't actually find my copy today, but um, 
uh, I have read it. It's uh, it does draw from a lot of the same well from uh, in terms. Of, I mean, that's her autobiography. It's there's a lot more in in the book about her music, probably isn't there? Like, there's a lot more about the individual albums and the, the reasons, especially after. 1993 there's a lot more about each individual um release and on her motivations for it and stuff like that which are which are really interesting and then obviously her life so where do we start with this i mean what were your first impressions of uh the film then let's start with your well i kind of knew going into it that a lot of people were going to be proven wrong so i'd known for a long time that we've we've done we've done dirty to Sinead basically and she is, we owe her so many apologies and we do not deserve her forgiveness by any means whatsoever. But I think a lot of people would have gone in with a certain perception of her. Um, and then their maybe whole foundations of who Sinead O'Connor is was going to be completely t- taken apart because we've just been fed such outright lies about her and fed um, just so many kind of patronizing opinions on her. when she was just she was just so right from the very beginning about everything that she that she criticized. She criticized the Irish Catholic Church. Um, she criticized racism. She criticized the treatment of women um, kind of across the world, the, the mistreatment of women, whether they were kind of ordinary women who were kind of, kind of raped in their hometowns or if they were women kind of living under the, the spotlight of fame. And whenever she cried out all of these things, people were like, oh, that silly drag of a woman. And that was just so frustrating because the things that she's saying in all of the archive footage, that's what we're all saying today. That's what we're all calling out today. And it just seems so ludicrous to me that she was villainized and she was just so widely made fun of um, by absolutely everybody. Like there's one bit of footage where it's it has Madonna actually taking the piss out of Sinead O'Connor, uh, ripping up the, the image of the Pope. And it's like that you know, Madonna and Sinead O'Connor should have been on the same side. Um, But everybody turned against her. And I think if you were born, if you were, like I was born in the late 80s, so I grew up with Sinead O'Connor just always being there. And I was always kind of told what she was about before I had the capacity to decide what she was about. Um, And I think that's probably the same for like a lot of people. And it's just so, like I just... I can't get over the fact that people just turned against her the way that they did and people just decided to say that she was an idiot because she cared about other people. Like that's yeah. always been her main goal. What was your impressions? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I so I was born in 1990. So similar to Louise, I was very much told who Sinead O'Connor was and what she stood for. In my house, it, there was a bit, there was a bit of a kind of a, uh, she, she's mad, but fair play to her kind of uh, vibe when it came to Sinead O'Connor. And I think just watching the film, um, and I, I think the director, uh, Catherine, Catherine Ferguson and Una Malali, uh commented afterwards, something that's so astounding, what, watching all of this footage of her is, uh, they, they pointed out the consistency uh, with which she has always delivered her message. She has always fought against um, racism and sexism and the power of the Catholic Church and and how it it wields that power over women and and children especially. What what struck me was I didn't know about her uh, the abuse she suffered um, 
from her family. Um, I knew that she was in care for a while. Um, and the amount of times the word care is used in that film, it, it got to the stage where I was like, wow, that word really has lost all meaning because we never talk about children in care um, when they're actually being cared for. <laughs> it's always when, when very much the opposite is happening. Um, but I didn't know about the abuse she suffered um, at the hands of her mother. And there's some very, very striking moments in it. Um, and then when you see, I mean, something that everybody was talk about a water cooler moment, something that everybody you and I ran into afterwards, Niall was talking about was um, how how her interviews and specifically with uh, with Gay Byrne came, came across on uh, in the film. You know, she was interviewed early on on the Late Late Show in her career. And one of the first things that said to her is, uh, I mean, a, a comment on her looks and the fact that she shaved her head and that um, the mammies at home would be worried that their children are, are are going to grow up like her and also that she she was a troublemaker and she gave uh, she had to move schools all of these different times and then of course you do find out that she she was a a victim of abuse um both at home and by the state and it's just it's the kind of the tone deafness or the turn in the other cheek uh, when it comes to you know ev- absolutely everybody uh who was in charge of caring for Sinead up until the point when she moves to London and she makes friends with uh, with people, you know, uh, kind of Rasta communities, other Irish people in in London, and she kind of finds her family there. But up until that point, she really had no one. And I don't think I really understood the the scale of how lonely she was as a as a young person. Um, and it makes sense now listening to her music all day today. I had her on all day and I was listening to her first album in particular and it just, it all really, really clicked with me. I think probably for the first time, you know. Yeah, certainly context will help for, for music, <clears throat> her music and her early music particularly. Um, I'm going to play uh, just the audio of, of the trailer just to give people an idea. But the first thing you'll hear as part of the trailer starts and ends the film. It's the, the footage from the Bob Dylan tribute concert, which happened a few weeks after the SNL incident. You can hear, you will hear the audience uh, booing and clapping in equal measure, kind of synonymous with how people uh, viewed her. Um, and she's asked to sing a song and there's a very long, awkward silence, which you won't see. You won't hear um, because it's a trailer, but um, the the only person I saw be actively kind to her in the film is Chris Christopherson, who yeah, introduces comes her. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, he does. He really does. He Legend. says, uh, what does he say to about Don't let her? the bastards get you down. Yeah, he says that. He goes on stage when she's faltering a little bit and does say that to her. Uh, but before that, she in, he'd introduce her with uh, about saying, here's a, here's a person of great courage um, and uh, integrity. And that's something that is, is just really, really uh, palpable from watching this film. Her, She never deviates from her integrity, her message, her central message, her, her desire to um, uh, stand up and defend uh, people who aren't being defended elsewhere. So here's uh, just a, a refresher, and if you haven't heard or, or watched the trailer, this, is, this will help. Ladies and gentlemen, Sinead O'Connor.
It was such a shock for me to become a pop star. It's not what I wanted. I just wanted to scream. Everybody in music has a story in terms of what they went through. Every person's duty to themselves is to act on their feelings and to say when they think something is wrong. And take the consequences. I imagine so. The level when Nothing Compares to You became a hit was extraordinary. This song went number one everywhere in the world. I had come across an article about families who had been trying to lodge complaints against the church for sexual abuse and were being silenced. I had booked her on Saturday Night Live. Basically, everything I had been raised to believe was a lie. She blows the candle out, she goes off stage. I had gone into the dressing room after her and I said, you know, I can't get you out of this. And she said, you know what? I don't want you to. If I acted at the time in the way that I felt would be most true to myself. I wasn't thinking to myself, I must be strong. I didn't know I was strong. An artist's job is sometimes to create the difficult conversations that need to be had. That's what art is for. No My name is Sinead O'Connor. I am a woman. I have something to offer. They tried to bury me. They didn't realize I was a seed. So, yeah, I think this film is totally worth watching for the reason alone of just watching her talk to whoever she's who's ever interviewing her about um, whatever it is, whatever topic that they're bringing, whatever loaded kind of idea that they're bringing to her. She's steadfast in how she responds, in how she uh, dictates herself, how she holds herself Um we will talk a little bit about the gay barn thing in a bit as well, because I have a couple of clips um, which maybe might contextualize that a bit more. I think it was a, uh, in short, I think it was a complex relationship and maybe a, a, a troublesome one. Um, but we certainly talked about um, a couple of different artists before, a couple of uh, women artists uh, on the podcast before about, uh, first of all, there's the Britney uh, experience. And this is kind of like, and then MIA as well. So I'm seeing a couple of parallels there. Certainly the MIA experience at the um super bowl when something when she flips the bird and everyone goes nuts the establishment goes nuts at her and her career is takes a nosedive then you see in with britney it's somebody just the opposite it's like somebody who's actually in total control of what they want to say but that scares people even more and it's there really is a a confrontation there and the confrontation does not come from Sinead o'connor it comes from everyone else reacting it's like saying calling somebody calling out somebody for a certain thing and they're getting immediately defensive there's a defensiveness there that happens when like peaches in in the in the film says uh that uh, describes uh Sinead connor in the 90s as non-binary intersectional beyond feminist and that is language that we didn't have then and we certainly do have now and the young people especially have are okay with it now and, and it's really interesting i think to just draw the parallels between the 30 years from then someone who was just simply stating a lot of facts and 
def- uh, and standing up for people and then you know things like like shaving her head and how it became such a big deal and how it became one of the only things that people talked about like there's that Dan Rather um, clip in the film where he's like oh was it Dan Rather I think He's like, oh, I, I, sh- I know I shouldn't ask you about this, but I'm going to have to ask you because people will be wondering why I didn't ask you about you, why you have mm-hmm. your head shaved, you know. And- it's the only thing I knew about her as a child, I think. I knew that she she shaved her head and she sang Nothing Compares to You. And that was those were the two things. And her having a shaved head, it was always like the adults around me would, would always kind of... Um, point out oh but isn't she so beautiful she she can carry it it was there was always this kind of um like oh she can get away with it and I think that that was in the media as well and it and it was you know she she's obviously very very beautiful um she's got the longest eyelashes of any person I've ever seen in my entire life um but 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 there was still always this kind of grasp for femininity when it came to Sinead O'Connor and uh, there's some interesting moments in the film where where she's you know she's she's taking part in some photo shoots and the ones in which she's the most comfortable is when she gets to play with her gender expression and it's not that she was you know butch for her whole life or it's not that she was she was uh, doing a kind of a or expressing her gender in a non-binary way her whole life like she was playing with femininity and playing with masculinity and playing with whatever lies betwixt you know so like so 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 many years before a lot of us even within kind of queer cultures were exposed to to that idea um but like it is so fascinating how how people were just so fixated on the fact that this beautiful young woman would shave her head but it is emblematic of everything that she was trying to do and like you hear a lot about stars nowadays who are like I don't want to be put in heels and lip gloss and pranced around and things and things like that but she she was really among the first to to not only say no to it but to kind of go in the complete opposite direction and it was yeah like she says I'm not a pop star I just uh, I just wanted I want to scream I always wanted to scream you know into a mic and she says on the book as well and obviously there's parallels Mm. there with the head shaving and and Britney as well in terms of Mm. you know a reaction um, and mostly not her but how other people react to that um it is interesting as well as like watching her as there's some great footage in the documentary of her as an early singer, uh, singing at a wedding, I think when she was like 14 or 15, uh, around the time that she was in the care home um, in, in inverted brackets, uh, which is where she uh, met a lot of the women who were essentially in the Magdalene laundries and, and her, it's pretty harrowing her description of the old women who were crying out for help or crying for nurses and, and never had, and never were attended to um, kind of, says a lot um, and and then she talks about her obsession with the bible that's that something i think in the in the film i would like to hear more of i certainly I, it's a complex relationship she has with religion um she says i wanted to see what was in this book that they were using to impress my oppress my people and i w- i am interested in knowing more i'd love to know more about because she that is the other thing that's been running parallel in terms of the shenanigan Connor story of the last 10 or 15 years especially is like her conversion to islam you know uh talking about rastafarianism and uh and then um being a priest and all that kind of stuff so it's like i'm it's very complex and it's not really something that is it something that's really touched in in the book that much it's not like it's well i think um, i think it is quite interesting that 
her fascination with religion and her fascination with music all comes back to her mother. Her mother was the big uh, kind of pushing force in religion and music. So it gave her kind of two of her biggest loves and also two of her biggest, I don't know, um, kind of destructors in, in one fell swift and swift anyway. And the relation back to her mother was just this, I don't know, I feel like it was just this dead weight upon her that the thing that she loved the most, which was singing, um, was the one thing that would calm down her abusive mother. So she just has this kind of endless cycle of everything going back to a great source of pain in her life. Um, but also I think I think her fascination with religion as well links up quite tightly to the level of celebrity that she had because it's it's no wonder that a lot of the big celebrities, a lot of them have turned to Islam at some point. They have turned away from Christianity. They have gotten deeper. They've gone towards Scientology. Um, like they've gone towards Kabbalah. Because when you get to that level of fame and you get to that level of um, kind of wealth and uh, notoriety, you're probably like, is this it? So there is probably this big question of kind of like, what is the meaning of life? So I think some some people like um, Sinead O'Connor kind of joins the ranks of like, say, Madonna and also Britney Spears, who have explored religion further to be like is this all that life has to offer where it's people who have experienced the extreme highs and the extreme lows and obviously Sinead has experienced the extreme lows from basically the day she was born and then when she was 20 years of age suddenly it's well known across the world and now a young mother as well so it's it's a an interesting mm. journey that she's gone on to always see her mother in the work that she does and to always kind of come back to religion even though she blames it as to blames it for the the kind of destruction of kind of all women in Ireland and women across the globe as well yeah I thought it was amazing how she, the the way that she spoke in the 80s and 90s about um women and the Catholic Church and abortion in particular same language as we were using in the eighth amendment uh like repeal the eighth campaign same same language right to choose you know the 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 idea of uh, of the Catholic Church have, having a hand in in, in your body like the, no, none of this was new, and it it broke my heart. There was a moment she's she's at um, an abortion rights march, and someone puts a microphone in her face and she says, "We will have uh, legalized abortion in this country soon," and you know I'm I'm very very glad and grateful that she is around to have seen that happen, but. Like what what a long time it was that she had to wait, you know, um, and she was just, yeah, I just come out of it feeling like she was so ahead of her time with all of this, you know, and with especially everything to do with the church. There was never any doubt in her mind that what was happening was happening. And, and these were before the big stories broke, you know, these were before anybody had any clue. And to just be treated as, as if she was this mad woman making up conspiracy theories. It's a tale as old as time when it comes to women in this country and and the church. And it was really like it was really empowering, I think, at the at, to 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 kind of watch it and see that she is vindicated in what it was that she was saying the entire time. And I keep going back to that idea of consistency, like her her message hasn't changed Um you know, she's she's dipped in and out of the Catholic Church. She's, as, as you said, Louise, like she's she's uh, she, she's now a, a Muslim woman. You know, it's her her relationship with religion is very, very complex. And I think it would be easy to look at her and say that she's a hypocrite or whatever to 
because she's, you know, joining some other organized religion. But yeah, I think I, I think it's incredibly, incredibly complex because of that kind of interlinking that is her mother, religion, pain, abuse, suffering, and also the kind of the elation getting to sing in the church and singing to kind of, you know, calm her mother down in in, in dark moments as well. So it's um yeah, she's just very, very complex and she expresses those complexities brilliantly. Um, there's no point in the film where I'm like, oh God, I don't know what she's going on about. She's she's <coughs> yeah, so she's so, so clear, crystal clear about all of it in terms of anything yeah. she's talking about, and she's so and she knows the language and she understands mm. the intent behind, especially with the when it comes to talking about yeah, um, abortion rights and like um the right to choose and things like that, and then knowing, you know, what to say about a very complex issue. And not to be dissuaded from it as well. It's just so impressive. Mm. Um, and it's it, amazing because her her voice changes as she gets older. Her voice naturally, her speaking voice naturally deepens. And you you have moments in the film where you know it's it, it's a section about one topic, and you'll hear her talking in her much higher, much younger voice, saying the same thing as she's still saying now, in her much deeper, much kind of older and wiser voice but the message is the exact same she's she's never she's never you know waned from it she's never strayed away from that central message of just equality and justice uh it's it, she's just oh she's incredible i really came out of it like <laughs> now just completely in love with her like it also um, was worth yeah. i think um you know the film in full does um play the the snl clip and just the there's a couple of examples, certainly on stage, of of that uh, steely determinism, um, not being dissuaded from whether people are are literally booing you, or you know you could literally you were like, no, I've chickened out because it's too dangerous. But here's just mm. briefly the very stark audio that happens on Saturday Night Live. Everyone knows about the the ripping of the picture, but immediately beforehand, she sings. Uh, war the uh, uh, Bob Marley song and uh, an acapella as well so uh, a very unique way to perform it as well we have confidence in the victory of good over evil fight the real enemy So it's interesting, I think, that, you know, there was some uh, allusions to in the Q&A yesterday with um, Catherine Ferguson that the reaction in the US has been mixed, it seems. Have you seen anything about that? No, I haven't. Um, but I can imagine, like, the, the fact that there was such a huge anti-American narrative created around her because at one point she refused to come on um, stage at a, an American festival after they played the, the American National Anthem. And it was just so funny. It was just this like kind of like match that just like lit up the entire world. And suddenly everybody was trying to kind of destroy her CDs, uh, boycott her, remove her from airplay. That maybe that sentiment just kind of continues to ring through. It's like if you if you take a stand against America once, that's that's you kind of forever um, in, in this kind of light. And there, there was like one thing that actually kept kind of playing in my mind throughout the film. And I hope I'm not the only person that was thinking this. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers in 2013 when there was the great war between Miley Cyrus and Sinead O'Connor. 
No, I no. don't remember this. Yeah, uh, she had an share. open letter to Sinead O'Connor. Sinead wrote, yeah, she yeah. wrote an open letter to Miley Cyrus, basically being like, "You can make your own decisions. You can dress how you liked. Um, oh, you I don't do. have to be and um, kind of stripped half naked in music videos." And it was coming from a place of care, but jump. Also, it's it's not great to tell any woman kind of what they can and cannot cannot wear. No, of course. But this just turned into this big kind of spat, and that whole sentiment came back up again that Sinead O'Connor was anti-American. And I suppose in the time that it was kind of um, late 80s, early 90s, uh, Irish people still would have had this kind of terrorist attachment to them. So mm. the fact that there was a rebel uh, international rock star, pop star sensation who had a shaved head and wore leather jackets, it might have just kind of fed into this uh, wrong idea that a lot of other people had about Irish people. So mm. I can imagine that it will take a lot of work for that to 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 dim down and I just I kind of feel like Sinead O'Connor probably in America will be kind of known almost as this kind of folk hero who kind of some people have heard of or only some people get um and she'll never really kind of get her day until I don't know you'll have someone like maybe Billie Eilish just going my biggest inspiration is Sinead O'Connor like I know John mm-hmm. Grant has said in in many interviews over the years um that Sinead O'Connor is one of his leading inspirations but you know, it's that's that's not going to convince the thousands, the mainstream. You know that Sinead O'Connor really did pave the way for so many uh, performers, so many artists, um, more than maybe anybody else did. Like, uh, like mm. to could there could Madonna have been re- as rebellious as she was if Sinead O'Connor wasn't the most rebellious one? There's just so many kind of connectors there, um, and I think maybe in if there are mixed reviews in America it's probably because they don't want to admit that they, they, that they were wrong in the first place. Well, I think the, the, the sentiment of, of being protective of Americanness and kind of pro-America, like that's, that's come back around. Um, you know, we've, we, we, we've all seen that, um, ever since 2016, but it's been bubbling up for a while that being anti-American, uh, can get you, you know, shut out of showbiz um but it is those kind of conservative sort of gen x boomers who would go to the go to a bob dylan birthday concert and not want to hear what Sinead o'connor had to say um which was pointed out in the film you know like what what are you doing going to see bob dylan live if you're if you're going to be anti Sinead o'connor you know what what she did when she refused to um to play after the national anthem was played was uh exercising freedom of speech you know and and there's there's this this idea that our our folk heroes are as in americans our folk hero, heroes have kind of fought the good fight and it's for the america we have today so we should be grateful um when that's not when it's not the case at all um and I was really happy that somebody in the film pointed that out <laughs> because it's just so ludicrous that you could stand there and and boo. And that scene is is incredible. Um, it is, yeah. And I mean, it starts the, and ends the film. The half and half. And it really is half and half. It re- like, And it really does capture how people felt about her at the time. And I mean, I, I imagine even there was there was more people if, if you were to survey 100 people on the streets of America beforehand, I I doubt it was even half and half. It was just, you know, the people that were in the room, some of them were, you know, uh, 
sort of understanding of what Bob Dylan was trying to do and yeah. what, what Sinead O'Connor was trying to do. But it's an astounding scene. I, I, I find it even more astounding maybe because I've seen it less than the Pope scene. Yeah. Because she just the the absolute conviction, you know, on 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 SNL, it's it's a performance and there's nobody shouting her down. But this is an auditorium full of people booing her. And, you know, there was there's been threats made against her life for being anti-American. You know, she's she's had death threats. People close to her have had death threats. And to to do what she did just was such a marker of bravery. And it's incredible that now these days, the idea of a protest in a live performance at the Grammys or at the Super Bowl or some kind of, you know, broadcast live performance is sort of un- understood as just being part of it. You know, like we've we've seen Beyonce do it. We've seen Kendrick Lamar do it. Um, but Sinead was doing it when protesting wasn't part of the the musical performance at all. It was it, it existed somewhere outside of it, and she brought it into the auditorium, which I found I I, I found that really interesting how how that lineage kind of happens, you know. Yeah, and, and she you know stood the, up for the, the NWA thing. The, the oh yeah, the yeah. the public enemy thing as well, and like she's just she's just always been on the right side of history, and it's it's just so incredible to see how how wrong everybody else was. Yeah, I mean, we were all side-eyeing Gay Byrne. Like, <laughs> well, was that incredible moment in the film with that American feminist, Camille Anna Paglia, who says uh, in Sinead O'Connor's case, child abuse was justified, which is just absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. And that comes in a, in a a montage of kind of reaction videos or like SNL. Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci on SNL the week, a week later, that was a week later, uh, a pot, mm-hmm. uh, Sandy, he would, he would have smacked her um, if if he had been there and loads of and then with the Madonna one as well uh, a few months later I believe the Madonna thing happened um, whatever kind of what picture did Madonna rip up um, I had it open there hold on a second because I couldn't see I, I couldn't figure out who it was I was just like I was so shocked that Madonna Joey was doing something who is okay. uh, a body shop owner from Long Island oh he okay what? Okay, I don't know if this was before or afterwards. Is he- if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. He, he raped somebody and went to four months in jail. I'm not sure when this happened, so I'm not sure if this was... okay. Well, if she ripped well, up okay. his picture right, after yeah, it was that, just that, it was 1991 that happened. Then I get it. I think 92. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. Very strange uh, thing for you know, Yeah. Okay. So with, with the gay burn thing, I think there it is work. Like, I mean, that's a lot of, for a lot of people who are listening to this, who are Irish, who you know, our la- our understanding of Sinead O'Connor comes from her appearances a lot on the late late, and she appeared many many times now i tried to review as much as i could today certainly in the film like we were saying last night there's there is a the way that he talks to her reeks of patronizing sexism he talks to he knows what he wants to say he's cleverly uh, couching it in a this is what other people would say uh, but i'm not saying this but i am saying this you know what have you done to yourself how dare you kind of thing. Um, I, I I think that relationship is very complex, actually. Um, and while I think Gabe Byrne, the more you see footage of him uh, in recent years, the more you're like, whoa, he was uh, maybe not the national treasure that everyone thinks of him as. He wasn't the 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 paternal TV dad um, that everyone thinks of him. But he, he certainly had, uh, he seemed to have a vicious side as well. Yeah, but I I, think, I didn't grow up in a late 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 household, so I don't have that same graph that everybody else seems to have for Gay Burn. But hmm. I know I was saying this to you last night, Niall, that one of my main memories of Sinead O'Connor growing up was when she appeared on the Late Late Show, and Terry Wogan and Graham Norton were the other other guests. So I think it might must have been around maybe ninety seven or ninety eight, maybe in around when Graham Norton was suddenly really famous. Um, yeah, around uh, Father Ted times, I think it was around then, and. One of the exchanges was that Gay was saying to Sinead that he looks at her like she's a daughter and she repeated back saying, I, I look to you like you're, you're a father. So there, that, that was a public declaration between the two. And this is also when um, Sinead was a practicing priest. So she was wearing her, the, the collar and everything. But everything she said, it was just the smirks from all the men that were up at that desk. It was those desks, wasn't it? The Late Late Show. Um, mm. everything they she was asked and everything she said, all the men who were sharing the same stage for her that night were just goading her. And it was just so, it was so just blatant and it was so intentional. And she, again, just kind of held such great decorum, didn't break, didn't break her stance, didn't kind of call them out. And that was something I always kind of admired whenever she was being interviewed by all of these people who were always putting her in the, in the naughty corner she mm. she never kind of called them out. She just kind of stood her ground. And it, it's such an amazing thing. It's like what you're saying there, Andrea, just so, so consistent. And I just kind of want to know when everybody else changed. Like, when is everybody who's going to be looking back on this footage of themselves? Are they not, not just embarrassed to the core? Like, she was so wild, wildly outnumbered by everybody. But now mm. all of those same people are singing from the same hymn sheet that she is. and. It's just this thing of, like, when did, like, are we still idiots because we're pretending like we, we didn't behave this way? Um, hmm. And just there's just a lot of reparations that are due, like, in in so many different shapes and forms. 
Um, and I just kind of I want to know when people are going to put their hands up and say, yeah, we were, we were absolute idiots. And there's no I think it's only a reflection of watching these this kind of um, footage, like we talked about before, about watching the Chris Evans um, TGI Friday, TFI Friday show and realizing how negative it was and how damaging it was to women and especially and how absolute leering and horrible he was to people. What an absolute like and that was just entertainment then. And I think it's mm. only when you see those things, it's when you see how far we, like how things have changed. And and I think that's, yeah, I mean, certainly there's a lot of people, there was a lot of quotes from newspapers and like people like Phil Collins on the screen last night about awards and people saying, oh, well, she doesn't like money. She can give her money back, you know? It's yeah, like, Roger Daltrey mm. suddenly were like, it's like, excuse me, you're, you're yeah. like, these people who are meant to be rebels, it, it mm-hmm. just, it just doesn't sit with me. But I'm also concerned as well that this is cyclical, that we're going to fall back into a, into a phase where suddenly caring isn't important again. And mm. we are seeing shades of that kind of in, in different kind of media outlets and in general conversation as well. And, and that's kind of my main fear where it's going to be that someone else is going to be villainized in the next while for actually speaking out for the rights of others. Mm. I think we've we, we've seen it a, l- a little bit with some women in the industry. The the fascination with the fact that Billie Eilish wears um, baggy clothes comes to mind um, as a kind of a a comparison to how we were also fascinated with why Sinead O'Connor shaved her head, for example, and this idea of what is the point you're trying to make, and then if somebody tries to get across the point they're trying to make, they're just you know. They're either aping women's issues to get attention or, or, you know, these these days Sinead would be um, called, you know, being woke or being a snowflake or anything like that. I absolutely agree that it is that we're seeing this kind of cycle come come back around again and this kind of disdain for women who speak openly i mean pussy riot who were we, we we saw a flash of them on, on on the screen last night um i think when when it comes to how how we reflect on their career in however many decades to come um i think we're all going to be speaking very very differently about pussy riot than we have been in in kind of you know previous decades and and the work that di- uh, that they have done um which was again a path paved by by Sinead o'connor but there is a way to be um to be outspoken in this industry um if you're a woman while still maintaining um the allure of femininity and if you deviate in any way from that um and the 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 borders on that have shifted somewhat but there's still a very kind of rigid way to perform activism if you if you are a, especially a young woman in, in in the industry and i don't know if all that much has actually changed um it's just that i i guess people can't be as blatant about it um we we certainly wouldn't see a young irish woman be treated by um ryan tuberty uh and this is in no way me saying that ryan tuberty is a good broadcaster or that um or that he is uh, in in any way kind of morally better than gay burn it's just the times have changed but i still see the sneering leery attitude towards young women in the industry who are trying to um like i'm think about how uh, conversations that denise tyler for example has uh, has had on national television yeah. um 
and questions that she's asked that I just don't think were okay for her to be asked. Same with Tommy, um, Tommy Tiernan's show when asked uh, when he had Lo on, he's like, "So where are you from, really?" When he was like, oh, "I'm trying mm-hmm. to make a joke of this, but it's actually, yeah, yeah. you know, that's yeah, it's not okay." And and there'll be super cuts of those in in a few years in 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 the years to come. And I just don't think it's improved. It's just that it's shifted. Well, like another um, big thing that I was thinking about throughout the film and kind of most of today actually is so. Sinead O'Connor's, one of her main ammos was just pointing out abuses of power, abuse in the church, abuse against children. And her career was effectively shelved in so so many different ways. And then when known abusers like, say, or Kelly, who are only put Mm. into prison now, when we all knew, like, I, I, when I look back on the, like, I always had heard about or Kelly being an abuser. E- yeah. Even though I was, we all heard jokes. Even though I was ten years old and in Ireland in pre-internet, I knew about mm-hmm. Or Kelly being an abuser, and he's only in prison now for it. Do you know, it's the writing is on the wall, but only for some, and th- that's the thing mm-hmm. that kind of that 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 really does it. It kind of gets me, and it kind of chills me as well, because at the moment, a lot of people are trying to kind of reveal who the real baddies are, but. It kind of like what I, what I've said again just how long will that last um because there mm-hmm. there has been kind of people kind of coming out with the likes of um kind of Harvey Weinstein saying well maybe we can't be painting everybody in the same in the same coat of color as as the rest of the abusers so it's it's just mm-hmm. interesting to see what we're doing with information now and how we're just kind of what side we're pinning that kind of abuse to mm. it's as though a a, a movement has a sell by date because it it will automatically according to some people become a witch hunt or become something sinister it can't it can't maintain like maintain a a momentum not everyone can be as bad as Harvey Weinstein and no not everyone is as bad as Harvey Weinstein nobody's saying that but you know it's the idea of um we're still living in a world and in an industry that adheres to the few bad apples um, idea instead of actually looking at the the system that these people are working within. And whether that's the music industry or whether that's, you know, Magdalene laundries or the education system or, you know, beyond Ireland, um, there is this, this still this idea that it's it's a few bad apples and we can't treat treat the whole system as though it's spoiled um, when that's that's not the case. And, and Sinead O'Connor has known that that is not the case ever since she was a child. And then when she went into the music industry, ever since she was 20 years old, you know. One of the specters of this film is Prince, um, for obvious reasons, because... Mm. Um, the title "Nothing Compares to You." Nothing compares is a reference to "Nothing Compares to You," the song that he wrote for that Sinead O'Connor uh, popularized. And <laughs> as the film makes clear, with a title sequence at the end, um, his uh, state did not give permission for the song to be used. Uh, and so they have some recordings, some rushes from the video shoot, which are very beautiful and actually some of the best things that you see in the film in terms of intimacy and and just. Uh, backstage kind of or background portraits um i thought the the music by irene and linda buckley did a wonderful job of um mm. recreating a, a a very classic song in its own way uh, and their music trail was also wonderful and uh but yeah the prince thing is is interesting as well because she's obviously in the book 
um, she talks about him and how the bizarre story, you know, we're talking about people, you know, who like I respect, like I like who I, I love the music of Prince, but I've heard, you know, dodgy things about him. And then she is mm. the one that she has called him um, a violent abuser of women as well. She she wrote about a story that uh, she went to visit him in his Hollywood mansion and he chastised her for swearing in interviews and then uh, kept trying to get her to his butler to serve her soup that she didn't want and then suggested a pillow fight and then put something really hard in, in a pillow just so he could hit her. And so she left and uh, escaped on foot from her house, from his house. And uh, he kind of chases her down in his car. Uh, so it's this bizarre story of like, like Prince is this macabre, like cartoon villain all of a sudden. And, you know, I don't dispute her um, account of it, but it is, she doesn't shy away from, showing people who are fully you know have the full respect of of pop culture and anyone around who's pays attention to it and she is uh, still and that's still calling people out even mm. uh you know in the last few years she has said stuff like that so um so what it is the inter- thing is really interesting because this is somebody like Sinead o'connor isn't nobody saying this you know she's somebody who has a track record of speaking out against systemic and individual abuse um and being right <laughs> um and the the prince story made next to no waves you know it, it con- considering if if that was any other woman in the industry who made those claims against prince I think that would have been a far greater story. But we at, at that stage, we had gotten so used to Sinead O'Connor being mad and being um, just, you know, finding finding something to be angry about that. It was very, very easy for everybody to just kind of sweep it under the rug and not address the fact that their hero um, or somebody that they greatly admire could be an abuser. And that's something that we've all been dealing with uh, in the past number of years you know we've all had to stop listening to some people's music music in the past few years but I just I I do find it amazing and pretty unsurprising that it wasn't um it it's not even it's barely a footnote on how we discuss Prince and his legacy um I think it's it's probably more common to talk about um, the allegations against David Bowie, which are relatively un- uncommonly spoken about, um, than it would be against Prince. And Prince's accuser was Sinead O'Connor, you know, with like a, an absolutely huge name in in the music industry. Um, it's just so emblematic of the fact that people just think that she's just making shit up she's, all the time. She's the she's <laughs> the know? mad Irish woman, and that's how a lot mad of people Irish still woman. see her. And I think this mm. film goes a long way to uh, recontextualizing. Uh, who she is as a person and, uh, and yeah. vindicating her for um, for her character as well. A, a really amazing yeah. uh, person. I would certainly need to know more about the rest of her life really now in the context of this and, and how she moved through it. Clearly, she talks about 10 years, and as she says this in the book, 10 years that she can't really remember what happened after that. And mm. that's trauma and that's a horrible situation to go through. So understandably, you know, she went through something that most people will never understand, like the entire world, what it must have felt like the entire world hating you and you've been thrown in a bin essentially. And she had to deal with that. And she said, I didn't realize I was strong. 
I just was, you know, and she was, and, and very few people could take that uh, level of criticism and abuse. And as she uh, increases, she proves time and time again throughout the film, she's able to stand against that and uh, show who she is and uh, and state her own case. And I think for me, that mm. was one of the that's the main takeaway from it. It's like she's actually. Uh, incredible she's an incredible person and anything any any of the things that have happened since then are a result of going through a very traumatic huge uh, very public uh, thing like that so I think mm. that's what I'll take away with me for sure. Louise I'm, I'm interested in um, your thoughts on the kind of her her downfall as it were kind of now contextualize in everything that we've learned about how we've treated Britney Spears, for example, and just in with, within the kind of pop realm. Um, do you think we've learned anything now after after the, the Britney reckoning, after the, you know, ho- hopefully now with this film, the Sinead O'Connor reckoning, um, or like, do, do, do you think we're getting any way closer to treating female pop stars in a nice way I'm judging by your face the answer is no <laughs> no it's but I'm interested in what what parallels you draw I think between between those two kind of instances well yeah there's clearly such stark parallels between it all and it's 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 just unbelievable that the moment of Britney's gone mad is her shaving her head like it's just mm. it's the, the comparison there is just too it's just too close um but watching kind of kind of Britney Spears now in her kind of her newfound era of freedom, where she still doesn't have that much freedom, people are still basically trying to claim that she's crazy and claim that she needs to be locked up and 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 claim that um she's unfit to be around her children, um, and then that's what you're hearing from the people who are meant to be closest to her and the people who are meant to care for her the most, which is her her blood, her her children, her 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 parents her siblings um and i mean and this is a point i've made of so many times like fame is toxic fame that like very good things come from fame and very good things come from people who become famous at a young age and there is a thing with kind of powerful women that scares people and whatever level of power that is whether it's to have the 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 voice and ferocity of Sinead o'connor or to have the kind of the presence and the kind of the, the, the popdom of Britney Spears, people don't like it and they still don't like it. Um, we've mentioned, like, just think of anyone, any any female uh, performer over the years who has had something to say and there will always be like, oh, but did you hear this as well? Like you can, like I'm thinking of like Alanis Morissette, I'm, I'm thinking about Grace Jones, I'm thinking about like Tracy Chapman, um, I'm thinking about Courtney Love. All of these people who speak on behalf of other people who have been abused, they're all considered liars still. And that's the conversation that just hasn't changed. It's whenever someone is claiming abuse, people are just as loudly claiming that they're liars. And these women who are put under the limelight and who want to use their fame for good, just that that tag of liar will never be removed from them because the the rest of the world just views views just that if there is able to say this out public there is as able to say it as a lie um hmm. and yeah i'm just i'm not sure if that's that's going to change anytime soon like as i mentioned with it's the, such a with the or kelly case and when you think of say like bill cosby harvey weinstein how many women does it have to take 
to say the same story for people to believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't that, that goes for the same whether you're world famous or someone from a small town with not much to your name. Like it's yeah. I mean it's it, yeah. The the parallels between it all is just it's too stark, too close. Um, and it's it's just really sad, and it kind of frustrates me now that we have this movie out. People are going to be kind of regretting what they've done, but it's going to change nothing. And I hate that that's mm. such a dour way to kind of wrap that up. But yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, well, I think there's the, we we have to change how women, particularly in pop music, are viewed because it is that double edged sword of. If you speak out, you're a liar. But if you don't speak out, you're just a cog in the pop machine and you're, you know, you you don't have anything like women have to have something meaningful to say, but not too meaningful. Um, nothing that's going to rock the establishment or, you know, question anything. And it is it's literally impossible to toe that line. You're you're either like you, you, you can't be respected by men in the industry. Um, no, no, no matter which way you play it, because if you speak out, you know, you're, you're rocking the boat too much. If you don't speak out, you're just a, you know, a puppet for the, for the music industry and there's nothing authentic about you. Um, and yeah, I, I agree that the, the world doesn't seem to be getting any better. We're just sort of reframing, um, the abuse that we're willing to allow women to go through you know I think the reason why the Harvey Weinstein case was so strong was because there was so many women and there was women who are known um and it's almost as if you need to have something to lose um you know you you need to uh be putting like Amber Heard you know somebody who who was treated just despicably by absolutely everybody um and it's almost as if you have to have something to lose in order to to speak out against anybody you can't possibly gain anything you're not you're not allowed to be able to gain anything in in people's eyes and if we keep treating women as being people who are either looking for fame or money or notoriety um or trying to prop up their careers by uh piggybacking on a a, a movement then absolutely nothing is going to change. Um, but I think what's what's fascinating about this film is that Sinead O'Connor has had nothing to lose for a very, very long time. She's never, she never wanted to be a pop star. She, say, she states that like explicitly very, very early on in her career that she never wanted to be a pop star. Um, and I think the, the parallels between her and Britney Spears are, are, are so interesting because here's Sinead O'Connor who was you know, forced into being a pop star, not wanting to be one. Here's Britney Spears who wanted to be a pop star and wasn't allowed to get out. And both of them were just trapped, completely trapped in this in in this industry. And, you know, Sinead got out one way or another. You know, she was she was forced out, whereas Britney Spears was forced to keep going, keep performing, keep keep making money. And it's it's the two sides of that coin. There's no there's no happy medium for women in the industry as long as it's men running the record labels, as long as it's men deciding who plays the shows and for how long, as long as it's men who are managers and bookers and you know who who are running the industry, like or who are writing the articles or reviewing the records. You know, um, there's just 
there's no feasible way to be a woman in the industry and not be hurt by it. Well, certainly the um, discussion we had a year and a half ago about the Framing Britney Spears documentary is uh, somewhat a companion piece to <laughs> to this podcast episode for sure. Um, so that is worth listening to. That is called um, the Free Britney, the Framing Britney Spears documentary. Of course, Louise, you were you joined us for that as well, and uh, so yeah, it'll be more of that. Um, yeah, well, I guess where do we leave it? I think uh, like ultimately this film is out Friday. I think people need to see it, and I think people should see it. Um, because I just think, for the many reasons we discussed, uh, it is worth seeing this recontextualization, even if there are concerns about whether things are going to change or not. And um, yeah, it's out Friday. <laughs> yeah, how great would it be if they played it instead of the Late Late Show on Friday so that you could have that exact audience that had yeah, this misconception yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. of Sinead O'Connor for yeah, the entirety and you know of the it would be that, that Twitter audience would be going absolutely crazy for that if it was shown. Because it is shown, I think it has been shown on in the US on Showtime who are... Mm one of the distributors of it, they're broadcasting it on Sunday in the US, so anyone in America can watch that for sure. But um so it is it is showing yeah. um the director was last night was saying in. that there's uh that after some of the screenings she f- she found that a lot of the young women who came to see the film were really galvanized afterwards and really, really angry. Um and I thought that was amazing. I really, really hope that a lot of people go to see it. Um because, I mean, I came out of it absolutely furious and I came out of it feeling that kind of, you know, that self, that sense of this is just so unfair. And like you said at the, at the beginning, Louise, like that there are reparations due, like there there is an apology from RTE due to Sinead O'Connor. And I know that she she came back, um, God, last year, sometime during lockdown, wasn't it? She what? what what was the year that she 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 appeared for the first time in a very very long time and and sang on on the late late show so obviously she she must have made her peace with 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 RTE uh, in order for her to do that but um I know Gay Byrne is no longer with us but it, it wasn't only him you know somebody somebody booked her on that show that you were talking about Louise with um with men smirking at her and somebody thought that that would be a nice lineup uh, in order to humiliate her. And I think that there is, you know, apologies due for that. And there's apologies due to her from a lot of people. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible film. I really encourage people to go to see it, whether you are a fan of Sinead O'Connor or not. You learn a lot about Ireland, um, actually. Um, if, if anybody is a listener not in Ireland, um, you learn a lot about uh, Ireland's relationship with the church um, in the film. And honestly, see that uh, footage of the Phoenix Park is just like seeing mm. some sort of alien planet mm. <laughs> that, I, that I'm very familiar with. But it's just like, this is also recent, you know, like when, mm. um, even with the footage that they had from the marriage referendum day, I was like, God, we look like we're from donkey, donkey's yeah. years ago as well. Like we, it's, this is all of our recent history. And the fact that there's people still suffering at the hands of things from yeah. the 60s, 70s and 80s in Ireland. Um, and I just kind of hope that this is sort of like the, the wake up call, the shock yeah. to not let history repeat itself. 
Yeah. Okay. So, film is called Nothing Compares to Sinead O'Connor documentary that is in uh, theaters and films, and uh, that is in theaters from Friday. Uh, thanks, uh, Louise and uh, Andrea, as ever, and good to see you both You're in right. real life yesterday. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash 909 if you want to join our Discord or keep up with what's going on and, and help us fund the podcast. Louise, you've got anything going on you'd like to plug? Yes, I do. Um, I'm going to be playing in All My Friends next Friday the 14th, I believe. Um, and I'm also going to be playing two nights at the Westville Festival on the 28th of October. and Two nights? And the 31st, I believe. The Friday and Sunday, whatever Lovely. those dates are. <laughs> West is best, I hear. Yeah, apparently so. Going to rock that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And all my friends is the new pub on Mead Street as well, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Great spot. Lovely. Okay, great. Thanks for joining us. No. Andre, anything you'd like to plug before we go? <laughs> <laughs> nah. Okay, thanks, Bye. Mel. Talk to you next week. Bye. The only times that I've been completely and utterly terrified are the two times that I've done the late, late show. Like, Why? Because, uh, oh, not because of you, gay, I can assure you, but just, I don't I know, it's because you grow up you. all your life in Ireland and it's, it's the late, late show, you know, and gay burn and all this, you know, and so it's quite a sort of terrible. If I only prospect. had a known, I would have rushed over and held you in my little oh, arms. Oh, you're very good to me. The same orders are given by How are you? You're right. <laughs> well, well, no, because people worry about you because we've read all these things about no, you. And da, 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 da. I don't know what way I'm supposed to answer those kind of questions because in the one way I want to talk about music and another way the only thing that does bother me about all this stuff is that I've kind of dealt with 25 years of this get you know everybody treat me like a crazy person thing you know and it's a great source of amusement and entertainment and we live in a world where crazy is a term of abuse you know which I frankly think should be outlawed you know um so so you're sitting there I know you don't mean I adore no, you I... so I know you don't mean no no and you're lovely absolutely no. No, absolutely but, but uh, it's a weird question because people go are you all right what do I do well, how do I prove whether well, I am or you, you prove you're right by, by being here and, and smiling and, and being, and, you know. Anyway, well, so I'm a so bit of a nervous wreck about interviews at all, to be honest, because on one hand, I've got record company quite rightly and everyone going, don't say anything. On the other hand, I'm like, you know. <laughs> well, listen, yeah. don't, don't worry, we're just thrilled That's you're here. That's why I sing. I know, this, exactly. What you see now before you is why I actually sing. When I see me singing, that makes sense. Right? That makes sense talking, <laughs> that's what I sing. All right, look, Sinead, go okay. sing. Thank go you. sing.
Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>